Welcome to Teachings in the Air. Air, air. podcast with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what health means. Hello, you are listening to Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman. The topic for the podcast today is family reconciliation, or reconnecting families, or repairing the circle. The intent of the podcast today is to give, remind all of us of where we come from as a people, the strength and vibrancy of our families before contact with Europeans, to share how individuals were prepared to be responsible members of their families, to tell stories of strength and resilience from my people, from my life, and of course, also to look at what happened what happened to our families to gain an understanding once we understand i believe and know that we can take action to change that's what happened with me once i understood i started to take action our families before contact occupied and used territories that we we had our boundaries, that's our territory. And we occupied and used those territories and lived in a way of partnership and harmony with everything on the land. For thousands of years we lived this way. And we prospered and we were vibrant. We had everything we needed as a people. Healers, teachers, craftsmen. We had it all. When I think of those times, I feel this pride in me and where I come from, who my people were, and what the, how they lived together. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to have heard people that were in contact with that way of life. My grandmother, my mother, they remember the times when we were all one. That's, how, that's what they would say, we were all one, we worked together. We helped one another in every aspect of life. I'd hear my granny talk about how it used to be. 
as well as my mother and my father. They would share with us the lives that they come from. You know that um, in that way of life, the people recognized that it was critical for our survival that we work together, that we know that we were taught how to repair damage if it happened, if something happened between us as a family member. We were to repair it, that relationship. We were to reconcile with one another. And it was critical that we do that for the safety of the individuals and the group in the family. We were taught how to show respect to one another, to respect our own selves, our own body, in that way of life. You know, I, I smile now thinking of that in those times when there was pride in our identity. There was good feelings shared with one another. Communication was clear and respectful. And the teachings were passed down through the stories year after year how to be a good person, how to be a family member, how to, teaching us how to talk to one another, using words like be careful and sincere when you talk to other human beings. Understanding that if you are enraged and angry, out of control with another human, that you would literally shorten their life. And I know today that's true. When we get stressed out, our body gets stressed out and it stays stressed out, our lives are impacted. Our body is impacted, our heart, our blood vessels. So our people knew that. They understood it, and I'm proud of that today. And one of the reasons is because I have this feeling in me that we can go home to those ways. I grew up thinking and believing that it was hopeless for us as a people, that there was, seemed to be so much damage. When I think of the people the way I just described you, that they were all one and worked together and would say things, let's move and make sure no one's left behind, carrying that kind of sentiment in their mind and their body and their spirit, that commitment to one another to be there for each other, 
rain or shine, snow or heat, they were together. And that's my reference point today for myself. No, because it was there, I know it's possible today. And that's what keeps me going, keeps me moving today. And I want to inspire people today that listen to this, to bring inspiration, to look at that, the past history of our people. Because I know it's similar. We were all healthy, strong in our mind, in our body, in our spirit, and generous with one another. We're there for each other. So that's where we come from. And now I look at what happened. And I use the words, what happened. Because before I used to say, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with our families? And that's a blaming tone. That's a, not a good tone of voice or thinking. What's wrong? I learned to look at what happened. What happened? How could we be like this? There's a need for reconnecting families today. Because I have seen in my own family and others in this country the inability to show and share affection. To share that commitment and love to one another. And that's like oxymoron to think that that's a that's a negative, but it is. We need to let people know how we feel. Even when we're affectionate in a healthy way, we must express that. I've seen indifference between family members. No connection to parents, siblings, or children. I've seen and experienced the fear to work on issues and mistakes that happened in our past. I've seen unresolved anger, misdirected anger. I've felt depression and seen depression. I've been around people that have unresolved grief because of loss. So they carry those feelings. When we carry those mistakes and that negativity from the past, of course our relationships are going to be strained with one another. And at times, in the worst cases, there's violence to one another and to ourselves. I grew up with this feeling of abandonment issues because of residential school, that I was abandoned, that I was left to be by myself. And I learned to be resentful 
And when you're resentful, you feel that things are unfair, that life is unfair to me. That was the feelings I started to carry, and anger, and fear, and depression, because of what happened at residential school. I held grudges because I did not know how to express my feelings, all of my emotions, from the positive ones to the negative ones. That what was going on to me because of what happened at the residential school. And we know today that this has become an intergenerational problem, which means we pass it on to our children. What do we pass on to our children? This is what I mentioned. We're afraid to work on our issues and our mistakes that we make as a people. Sometimes we become overprotective. We start to suffer things like chronic boredom. And we start to experience broken or strained relationships. And that's not a good place to be that place of unresolved anger, fear, or depression. If we continue to live like this, it's not good for the future generations. So we must work together to break these cycles of what happened to us as a people. In my own experience of being in the residential school and coming home in 1968 after I graduated residential school, I remember coming home. And to this day, it still boggles my mind and has me question, how can this be? Because it seemed there were invisible barriers between me and my family, my mom, my dad, my brothers, and my only sister. Like we're strangers. And how could that be? Because I had wonderful experiences with my family when I was small picking berries, doing things together, the laughter. And how could this be? It's like a magical thing. Because I know it happened with others too, coming home and feeling like a stranger. And that led to lonely feelings. And I started even though at one point in my life I said I'd never be an alcoholic, I turned to the alcohol for medicine. It's the wrong poor choice. Don't ever use alcohol as a medicine. Yes, it'll make you feel good for a while. It made me feel good. But it didn't help me solve my problems. So one day I changed my mind. I woke up and I said, no more drinking for Jerry. 
I was 27 years old. And I, I started to live. I tell people, that's when I come to. That's when I started to become myself again. And as I started to move through a life, and I started to help people with addiction problems, and it is part of my medicine to help people. But as I was moving along, I realized more and more that feeling of loss in regards to family. So, you know, the good thing is I was sober and I was working and it's like I had a purpose, but there was still something missing. So I kept working and I moved from my community. And I started to communicate with my brother on email. In 1995, we started. And it was just, hello, how are you doing? Kind of messaging. And then my sister, my lead sister, purchased a computer. So I told my brother, give her my email address. And my sister and I started to communicate. Again, it's just in short statements. How are you doing? You know, and, and I would tell her I was working at a job where I traveled a lot. And she'd send me messages, safe travels, Jerry. And that's how our communication was. And then one day she emailed me and said, Jerry, let's go jumping. And I emailed her back, jumping with lots of question marks. And she said, she returned the email and said, let's go skydiving. <laughs> and I, I remember the, the shock of that request. And I, I remember I read the message and I would, and I sort of hollered and the people in the office I was working with said, Jerry, what's the matter? He said, my sister just asked me to go skydiving. And I said, I'm going to tell her, yes, we will. So I told her, yes, okay, let's go skydiving. You know, the, the cycle I'm talking about that we need to break and sometimes we lie to one another. And some people call it white lie or a little lie. But I done that with my sister because I told her I'd look for a skydiving place. And I didn't look. But my beautiful sister emailed me back a month later and said, I want you to be in Kamloops 
in, in June with $150, and we're going to go skydiving. And I said, okay. And I went to Kamloops. North Kamloops, there's an airport there, and there's a skydiving establishment there. So I drove there from Vancouver, and I pull in and park, and I walk in, and there's my sister sitting there. And to me, she looks like a Buddha. I mean, she's sitting up straight, sitting like an eagle, you know. And she sees me in waves, and she says, I go over to her, and she says, Jerry, you have to go pay over there, and they're going to ask you to sign papers. So I go over there with my $150, and, and he gives me these papers that I have to sign. And the messaging on the papers are that I won't sue them if I break any bones or if I get hurt. I won't sue the company, the pilot, the jump master, any of the staff that work at the skydiving establishment. So I read them and I say, okay. I sign the papers. And then they said, now you go through training. So we all went through training. First off, how to put on the parachute, how to get onto the plane, how to exit the plane. And I thought of skydiving, I thought we'd just jump out of the airplane and that's it. But that's not so on this one because it was a small airplane. We had to crawl out the door and reach beyond this mark on the wing. So we'd hang under the wing. Then we would, when the jump master gave us a thumbs up, we would let go. That was, with each teaching they were giving me, I was gaining more fear in my body and my mind. Because part of our training too, they said, if your chute doesn't open, you wiggle your feet and you jiggle the lines and maybe the chute will open. If it doesn't open, then you need to pull. And your right side, that'll release the chute. Then you pull the left side and it'll release the reserve chute. So of course my mind is saying, oh my gosh, I might get mixed up and let the wrong one go. So I'm afraid all the way through our training. They're saying if you fall into the trees, you cross your arms and legs. Otherwise your main veins will be cut under your arms and in between your legs and you'll bleed out. It means you'll die. And they're also saying if you the wind blows you over Kamloops Lake or the Thompson River. You need to release your chute 10 feet above the water. Otherwise it may fall on you and you may drown. So I'm listening to all of this training and I'm afraid. 
And I look at my sister and I want to tell her, Nancy, we don't have to do this because I'm afraid. And the thought came to me, my sister is younger than me and she may honor my wishes as her elder to say no. Okay, we don't have to do this. So I said to myself, no, I'm going to go through with this because she wants it. So the time comes when they call our names and we're the last ones that day to go skydiving. So they call us and we walk out onto the plane, into the, go walk out to get onto the plane. And the jump master says, you're going to jump from at 3,000 feet. So we're sitting down together on the plane, on the floor. The plane takes off. And there's an altimeter there by the door that we can see. 200 feet, 500 feet. By the time we got to 1,000 feet, I was holding my sister's hand for the first time in my life. And both her and I had gray hair at this time. And I was, and, and I didn't even remember reaching out to grab her hand because I was afraid. So there we were holding hands. By the time we get to 2,000 feet, I have my arm around her, holding her for the first time in my life. I held my sister in my arm and we're flying up and we get to 3,000 feet and a jump master taps me in the shoulder. You're first, Jerry, you're the heaviest. So I nod. We get over the jump zone by the jump zone and he presses a button and the door swings open. So I crawl to the door. I follow my training. I put my foot on the ledge. See the blue marker under the wing and I reach beyond it. We have to reach beyond it, because if we don't, when we let go of the plane, we may hit the tail of the plane. Believe me, I was a perfect student when they're training us. And a student means a consistent observer. I was watching and listening to every teaching they gave me. I reached out, let my feet swing out, and I'm hanging under the plane at 3,000 feet. And uh, <laughs> when I think about how tight I was hanging on, it's, it's frightening to, to know the 3,000 feet of air between you and the earth. And I'm hanging there and I look at the jump master, puts his thumbs up, and I let go and I arch my back the way they trained me. Because if I did not arch my back, I would have started falling towards earth head first, 
because our head is the heaviest part of our body. But because I was a good student, I arched my back. And I, I was falling. And I could feel my chute open. It was like a poof. It was just like I stopped for a while. And I looked up and I could see my parachute opened above me. And I started hollering. I was exhilarated because my chute opened. I'm not going to fall to the earth and die. So I'm looking up at the chute, hollering, hey! Then I hear the jump master on the ground on my walkie-talkie strapped to my shoulder. He says, Jerry, get the straps. There's two straps, Velcro to parts of the line. So I look up and I got them. He says, pull them. So I pull them. And they're like suitcase handles. So I'm hanging on to them. He says, pull left. So I pull. And he says, no, really pull. So I pull hard. And the chute turns. Just like I'm driving his parachute. So pull right. So I pull right. And it's just like I'm flying around. And it's so beautiful. And it's June, summer, summer day. And it's blue skies and sunshine and I can see the mountains and the lake and the river. It was exhilarating. In our training, they said, don't look down because you may freeze and get scared because it seems like you're falling to earth fast. So I didn't look down, so I'm flying around up there and it felt so good. Then I hear the jump master say, Jerry, pull left. You're going to land soon. You have to go into the wind. So I pull left. Okay, stop. And I'm going into the wind, coming to the earth. Ten feet above the ground, we're trained to, we have to flare. It means we pull both of those toggles. And the jump master said for me, and I was ten feet above the ground, he says, Jerry, flare, flare. So I pulled really hard, and it's just like the chute stopped one foot above the ground. And it felt like I stepped to the earth, and both feet in the earth. In our training, they said, pull your chute in right away, because the wind will come and might knock you down and drag you around. So I pull in my chute, and I'm holding it against my body. And I look up into the air and I see the plane circle. And it's coming back to the jump zone. And I see movement up by the side of the plane because it's 3,000 feet. People are really tiny. So I'm looking and the plane flies over the jump zone. And I'm standing with the jump master and he says, your sister didn't jump. I'm going, whoa. Wondering what's going on. I was wondering if my sister got scared. But that wasn't the case because the plane turned around and came back again. And my sister later told me she was having a hard time to get out of the plane. So the jump master helped her. Anyway, I see her hanging below the plane. And she lets go.
And I see her chute open, and I'm hollering at my sister. Way to go, Nancy, way to go. And these words seem to come out of nowhere. Nancy, I love you. <laughs> and I see her flying around like the way I was. And then I see she's coming for a landing. And I hear the jump master say, flare, Nancy, flare, and she flared. And the shoot done the same thing, and she got to the earth. And just as she stepped on the earth, this wind came and took her chute and knocked her to the ground. I went running over, I didn't help her because I could see her getting dragged. She looks at me with this determination and she says, no, Jerry, no, I got to do this. I said, okay, and I stopped. She dug, dug her heels in, stopped her chute and started pulling it in. So I walked up to her and for the first time in my life, I looked into her eyes and was holding her and told her, you know, Nancy, Jerry never ever stopped loving you. And she says, I know, Jerry. It was a new experience for me. It was exhilarating like the skydive. <laughs> there we were connected, reconciled. And I'll say reconciled, because up till that point, my sister and I never really talked or shared. And we seemed to get angry with each other over the silliest little things. I would get angry with her and I'd be like, I learned later it was like a cold silence. And I learned that I'd done that to other people, to other family members. And I'm holding her, amazed at her courage and her bravery for suggesting this, reaching out to me to be part of her life and what she wanted to do. She had a bucket list, and skydiving was one of them with her older brother, Jerry. I remember that Sunday afternoon and we went by our vehicles and I had a little white Honda and she had a four by four truck. <laughs> and uh, so I plugged in Van Morrison on a tape deck and she says, Jerry, you want a organic cigar? I said, okay, Nancy. So there's my sister and I on the ground, listening to music, smoking a cigar. <laughs> it was such a wonderful time in my life. I asked her if she'd like to go to a movie with me. And I'm taking my grandchildren to a movie that lived in Kamloops. 
said, okay, Jerry. So the first time in my life, I went to a movie with my sister. And we're sitting there eating popcorn, and my grandkids are between us. Just before the start, show starts, I hear her say, Jerry. So I lean over, and she's leaning over, and she's looking at me with this big smile, saying, no fear, Jerry, no fear. And I said, okay, Nancy. <laughs> and that was our connection. That's when we become one as brother and sister, as it's meant to be. We reconnected. And I share this story. And I want to let you know you, you can reconnect with your brothers and sisters or family members. And you don't have to go skydiving to do it. But believe me, there's benefits to it. It was such a powerful, wonderful feeling to connect with my sister. If she never asked me that, I probably never would have experienced that. And I'm just so grateful today. And the big surprising thing about this is that to connect with one another. And sometimes we disconnect for the silliest little reasons, and I know some of them are serious. We holler at each other or hurt each other, lose each other's trust. But because of what happened at those residential schools in Canada, we started to lose touch with each other. We forgot how to be family. And that is an amazing thing for me to see. And at times, and you probably heard me say that it, their plan was brilliant to disseminate our families and our culture so that they can take over these early colonizers. Because I know my story is one of millions of stories of indigenous people. And I want to, my, my motivation today of talking to you about these are to say let's Let's become family again. Let's connect. Let's go to those places that are scary for us. That stress us out. Another little example for me and my family is uh, I have a brother. And he's always there for me. And I would talk about him with my wife and say, you know what? I love my brother. I want to tell him. And she said, go ahead. <laughs> I'd say, okay. And I'd go home and see my brother and my community. And i walk up to him with every intention of telling him my feelings for him. And it seemed to get stuck in my throat. It wouldn't come out. 
So, like I told you, sometimes we lie. And I told my wife we'd go home again, and I was going home for funerals. See, I'm going to tell them this time. You know, I'm, I think it was 68 years old when I finally told them. We went home, our last Nancy passed, and I went home. And I see at the end of the funeral feast, I walked up to him. And I just said it right away really quick, hey, hey bro, I love you. And he goes, oh. And he puts his head down. And that's what I would do if people told me they love me. But he didn't walk away. It just sort of felt awkward because it's the first time you heard me say it. That's what I'm guessing anyway. But uh, we were already tight. We were close already. But it even became closer. Because I'd go home and I stay with him now and I stay in his house and I go home. And I. Uh, He'd drive me to Vancouver. He'd come and pick me up in Vancouver. And he drove me back the last time. And he, I got out of his truck. And he gets out and I thought we'd shake hands or, you know, say, see you and uh, that kind of stuff. I'm just going to do that. And he reaches out and he hugs me. <laughs> my hands were by my side, I remember. Because old habits are hard to break. But I reach out and I hold him too. It's another first for me and my brother to do that. It's like I was walking on air after that felt so good to have that silent connection, nonverbal affection. So reconciliation is repairing damaged relationships. And my point today is that we can do that. And that we if we're afraid, you do it in a way, even if it doesn't look like they accept it, at least you're being truthful with yourself. And eventually others will learn too. We need role models to do this kind of work. We need stories. Because it, it can be done. And for us to become the proud, vibrant families that we were, we must do this work. And we can, we can become one, one family, which includes our grandparents, parents, siblings, nephews and nieces, cousins,
we can do that. And it starts with how we feel about ourselves. We start to believe in ourselves that we're lovable, capable human beings. We're capable of doing things with each other, helping one another. And we are lovable. me a long time to learn that or relearn it because I knew that as a child with my, my late mother and father my grandmother I was lovable and they were lovable then the experience of it's sort of an oxymoron but that experience of education or going to the Institute of Higher Learning. There was some negativity there. And you'll hear me say, and I'll keep saying it, we must say hello to our problems so we can say goodbye to them. And we can do this. I wanted to let you know that there are many benefits from repairing our circles, reconnecting families. And the, probably the biggest are is that our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will grow up without this in the future, be able to express themselves openly because once we let negativity out of our body, we can grow and develop. It's when we carry it inside of us that it slows us down and sometimes stops us. So when we teach our children to free themselves right away, if they get angry, fearful, or depressed, or even how to free themselves of love and say, hey, I really care about you, and this is why, and it'll strengthen the family. I know it will. And my dream is that the day is going to come when we no longer have to talk about residential school. We no longer have to talk about racism or colonization. But that we talk about success. And we see our youngsters find their gift and use it to help themselves and to help others. That is a benefit. To see, to feel that pride of people graduating and becoming something, that is a good benefit. Because before contact, that was a guarantee practically that we helped everyone achieve their purpose and to find their gift and to use it for themselves and for their family. To live in an honorable, respectful, loving, generous way with each other. And above all, to respect Mother Earth 
and everything that lived on the earth for the future needs of our descendants coming behind us. I say, let's go home to that. Let's live that way again. When we live that way, when I live that way, I'm going to be statlium 24-7. Because that's the way statlium lived. I'm statlium. I'm proud to be statlium. Those are my people. That's my identity. And I know that we were a family before. We were a clan. And that was our strength. That we were there for each other in every aspect of our lives. That's why I know it's possible today that we can do that. And I know we're going to do that. We're going to go back to those teachings where we're careful and sincere with our words. We respect your elders. And who's your elder? Anybody that's older than you. That's what my cousin told me. It's my elder. You do not waste food or resources. You help at gatherings. You don't wait to be asked. You free yourself and do not stay in a place of anger, fear, or depression. You find help. And you're generous. And most of all, you do not disturb other people's harmony by being rude or disrespectful to them. When I look back and reflect on my grandmother and other elders discouraging us from being mean or saying bad things about people or hurting nature. I know that they were statlium 24-7. And that's what they were wanting me to be. So, we are all one. Let's, I'd like you to reflect on this message about repairing broken families, going back to our way of life, that we lived at one time because it was a good way. And then, in the future, the children that are coming behind us are going to benefit from this. And that's a good thought. That's a beautiful thought. So you remember, we can do this. Because all of what went wrong were man-made problems. 
They come from their residential school, their reservation, racism, and other negative events that came here that we didn't ask for. We did not ask for a residential school. We did not ask for Indian reservations or any of these things. That would have happened. That's what happened. So those are man-made problems, therefore we can fix them. If we work together, we can do what I cannot do. So that's the message I want to leave with you, that we can do what I cannot do. I want to thank you for listening to Teachings in the Air. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and at teachingsintheair.ca. I really appreciate this opportunity to share my thoughts and my beliefs around healing, around working together for the future, because that's what we must do. So I want to thank you for listening. And like one of my uncles says, Jerry, you got to learn. You got to know when to keep quiet. Otherwise, you might wreck a few good words you said. <laughs> so I'm going to say that now and say catch you on the rebound. Stay tuned for other episodes of Teachings in the Air. You know, I I can't stand here and not acknowledge my support team from PHSA Aboriginal. I'd like you to let you know we're here for the people. That's a feeling I got. We're here for the people. And that's the indigenous way. And for Mother Earth. So I'd just like to thank you again and wish you the best in family reconciliation for yourself. Thank you. <laughs>